You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Three, two, one... But I've worked it out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here. 77. We. January 7th, 2021, people. I hope everybody's doing well. I hope everybody's having a great day. I hope everybody's ready for a loaded edition of the Air Tour Sports Podcast, the first Friday edition of the Air Tour Sports Podcast in 2022, the FFE. First Friday edition. I just made that up. Forgive me. I drank a lot of coffee in the lead up to this show. But with that said, we got a fun show, loaded show, uh, and we're going to bounce around with a few different things. Obviously, we are going to open national championship game on Monday, Alabama, Georgia, part two this season, part five overall, and I'm dumb enough to think this is going to be a really fun game. So what I'm going to do is what I did on a previous show about a week ago in the lead up to the playoff. I will give you my first kind of first glance opinions on what has to happen, what will happen, what could happen for this game to turn out the way that it does. What does Georgia have to do to win? What does Alabama have to do to win? Um, And then on Monday's show, we'll do the real deep dive breakdown, what will happen, and I will make my official national championship game prediction. Talk a lot about this game. What we will then do, take a quick break, come back, uh, react to some college hoops. It is that time. We're going to start to really dive deep into college hoops. Two quick stories that I want to get to uh, before we preview the weekend ahead. The first one, the awful ACC. Have you seen the ACC? They're terrible. Trending towards, I don't think they're really going to trend towards a one-bid league, but they're not very good right now. So we'll talk a little bit about the ACC as North Carolina takes a bad loss. Everybody in that league stinks, and it's really worth noting, except for Duke, that they're really, really struggling. My boy Mike Effin Woodson picks up his first big win this week against Ohio State. We'll talk a little bit about that. Then we'll preview what should be a fun weekend in college basketball. A lot of teams returning to the court. My UConn Huskies will be back on the court against Seton Hall. On top of that, LSU hosts Tennessee. So a lot of really fun games over the course of the weekend. But with that said, let's get to the topic of the day. And the topic of the day is, not sure if you heard, but after five months, going all the way back to SEC media days, then the preseason, then the season, then the... We have one college football game left. Are you ready? Monday night in Indianapolis, Lucas Oil Stadium, 
the place that is synonymous with great college football. I'm talking Indianapolis, Indiana. Georgia, Alabama take the field. Part two this season, part five overall. And what I would say is this. I'm dumb enough to believe that this one's going to be different. Maybe not that Georgia's going to win. I told you I'm not making my pick till, uh, till next week. How about my dogs? How about my dogs? Not making my pick till next week. And I may not pick Georgia because it would be idiotic to pick against Nick Saban. Not saying I will pick Nick Saban, but I'm not saying it's definitive that I won't pick Georgia either. But I'm bringing it all up to say that I, I am dumb enough to believe that this one, I believe, could ultimately be more competitive than certainly the last two. And that's kind of really interesting to, where, to, to start here is because, as I said, this is part two of Bama, Georgia this season, but part five overall as Alabama and Georgia have played five times in the Kirby Smart Nick Saban era. And it's interesting how the dynamic in this, if you want to call it a rivalry, go ahead, call it a rivalry. If you don't want to call it a rivalry because Georgia's never beaten Alabama, that's fine too. But you look at the first four games, and it's really an interesting dynamic between the first four. First two, Georgia up big early, can't hold on. There's the national championship game, 2018. Devontae Smith, Tua Tonka-Viola, Tua off the bench for Jalen. Tua, second and 26, touchdown pass to Devontae Smith. Alabama wins the national championship. Year later, they meet in the SEC championship game. Tua goes down with the injury. Jalen Hurts comes in, leads Alabama to the SEC title. And then, of course, the last two have not even been competitive. Last season, they played in Tuscaloosa during the pandemic. It was 20, 25% capacity. I could be mistaken. I seem to remember Nick Saban being out that week for COVID. Alabama still wins convincingly behind Mac Jones, and Alabama was awesome last year. Maybe the best team of the Nick Saban era. Uh, and then, of course, earlier this season in the uh, Mercedes-Benz uh, Mercedes Dome, whatever. I don't know if it's the Superdome, whatever, in Atlanta, Alabama takes care of business against Georgia, 41-24. to 24. So the last two times these teams have played, uh, Alabama has won by 17 points apiece. But again, this one I truly believe will be more competitive. So what needs to happen for it to be more competitive? And what are the keys to the game? You're probably sitting there asking yourself, you're driving around, it's Friday, you just want to get to the weekend, you're saying, Taurus, well, if, if, if it's going to be more competitive, what has to happen to make it more competitive? So let's get into it. Let's break it down. Again, my first kind of glance, my first kind of opinion on this game. And what I would say is the next whatever it is, 7, 8, 10, 15 minutes, however long I ramble, I do think it is going to be heavy on Georgia. And the reason why is simple. To the victors go the spoils, but to the losers go all the podcast conversation, right? As the old saying goes, it's what your grandma used to tell you. There really isn't that much to say about Alabama. Because if Alabama does exactly what they did the last time they played at, uh, Georgia in Atlanta just a few weeks ago, Alabama's going to be your 2022 national champion. So let's get into it. Let's break it down. And let's talk about what needs to happen for this to be a more competitive game, most of it coming from the Georgia perspective. First of all, for Georgia, I think they have to stay true to who they are. And it's so interesting to me a few things. Is, is first of all, we all watch Georgia all year long. There's a reason I picked Georgia to win the national championship. Part of it was I thought they were going to play JT Daniels, a quarterback, but that's neither here nor there. But part of it was this defense is fierce. This defense is aggressive. This defense is fearless. The run game, physical, tough, all that good stuff. They played – that was the thing about Georgia. If you even backtrack, go back to all the games during the season. Go back to the Clemson game. 
Go back to a week after the Clemson game when you think, well, they just beat Clemson. They're going to back down. What happens? They play UAB, a pretty good football team in UAB that ended up winning eight or nine games. They're up in that game 35-0 at halftime. They win 56-7. to Go back to that Arkansas game, top 20 matchup. Arkansas comes to town. We're expecting a competitive game. Kentucky comes to town. We're expecting. What happened in all of those games? And you know the answer. Georgia just beat the crap out of them and ran them out of the building, embarrassed them. Georgia against Arkansas. We got some Arkansas fans that, listen, no disrespect, blocked that punt early in the game and you knew it was over. Oh, this team is different. Kentucky fans, you know the same. You rally, you rally, you rally. You got to put together the drive of the season. Liam Cohen pulls every trick out of his bag just to get a touchdown before the half, only to lose by double digits anyway down the stretch. And so what, stuck, st what still sticks out to me about that first game, I thought that Georgia in many ways lost its identity all year long. Not only the best team, but the most confident team, the swaggiest team, they were coming into either their building or your building to not only beat you, but to embarrass you, to rip out your soul. And then what happens when they get punched in the mouth against Alabama? It completely falls apart. It's a house of cards. It's like that scene in my cousin Vinny. He's talking about bricks. He says, you look at the bricks. They got all the big things of a brick. You know, they got sides and angles and this and that. And then you turn the brick to the side and it's thin and it falls apart. That was Georgia football during the season. All year long, big, physical, tough, this, that. You get punched in the mouth one time, they completely fall apart. And so to me, that is the key to the game, is they have to stay true to themselves and they cannot panic when Alabama counterpunches because Alabama will. And it's really funny to go back to, to not only the first game, but the, the most recent game against Michigan during the college football playoff. I will admit, I had a tweet that did not live on in existence very well. I basically said when Georgia started just steamrolling Michigan, started destroying Michigan, maybe sent Jim Harbaugh back to the NFL for all we know, uh, I said, well, it's pretty obvious that the real Georgia is not the one that, that got shook early by Alabama and never recovered, but instead the one that played the other 12 games this season against Arkansas, Kentucky, UAB, Clemson, Michigan, whoever, and destroyed everybody. And Alabama fans rightly said, Go back to that first game. Uh, we were up, we were actually down 10-0. Georgia, that is the crazy part about that game, is that Georgia in that game actually had a 10-0 lead. But the second that Alabama counterpunched, the second that they came back, the second that they said that they're not afraid, you know what happened. Georgia completely fell apart. And by the way, here's the crazy part. That's not even my opinion. That's not just me speculating. That's a fact if you look at the game plan specifically on offense, because defense we'll get into in a minute from Georgia's perspective. But from the offensive game plan, this is what's crazy to me. You can argue this, that Georgia, the second they got punched, completely fell apart and completely went away from everything that made them successful this year. Why do I say that? If I asked you, you guy, girl driving around in your car working out at the gym, if I said, what made Georgia successful all year? What would you tell me? I know exactly what you'd tell me. You'd say the run game made them successful, the defense made them successful, the physicality made them successful. Well, this is what stood out to me about the first game. In that first game, Georgia, coming into that game, was averaging 37 carries per game, okay? They, they, they hand the ball off to Samir White, they hand the ball off to James Cook, and they run right at you, and they don't stop running right at you until you wave the white flag and the game's over. Against Alabama, they had just 29 carries. 
The other thing that stood out to me about that game against Alabama the first time is that coming into that game, Stetson Bennett, their starting quarterback, had one game in which he threw more than 21 passes, okay? Now, he didn't start every game, so it's not a total apples to apples. But in the games, even in the games that he started, and he started a bunch down the stretch, he started that Arkansas game. He started that Auburn game. He started that Kentucky game. He started against Florida. Never passed the ball more than 21 times, except once against Tennessee. Against Alabama, he passed the ball 48 times times okay now I understand that when you fall down when it's late you have to pass the ball at a certain point and you can't run the ball but I thought that Georgia way too early got off track got as I keep saying they got shook they got you know they got rocked in the mouth and all of a sudden they went away from what made them successful all year run game defense ball control time of possession and what do they do they get punched in the mouth once, and all of a sudden they turn into uh, Mike Leach in the air raid trying to throw the ball 40 times a game. I know that Alabama is going to make big plays on offense. That's inevitable. I know that you might be down at some point in this game, and it's inevitable. But you cannot just immediately abandon the run game and go straight to the pass game because if you do, you're playing right into Alabama's hands. And it's funny because this week, and, and this is what happens in college football, it's the same thing in the NFL with the Super Bowl, right? Super Bowl, conference championship games, and you have two weeks to talk about the Super Bowl, and you talk about every angle possible, this, that, and you start just making up stories that aren't even there. And one of the stories that came up this week, and it might piss off Georgia fans, I don't know if it will, but one of the stories that came up this week was this idea, um, you know, somebody it started with, I think it was ESPN talking about, uh, can you win a national championship with a game manager as quarterback? The, the, the implication being that Stetson Bennett is a game manager. And then, of course, there was the counter narrative of, he's not actually a game manager, look at the stats. No, the guy's a game manager. He threw the ball more than 21 times, one time this season, in a win. Twice overall. That is the definition of a game manager. And so I bring all of it up because if you go back to what you did against Alabama the first time, and you make Stetson Bennett throw the ball 48 times per game, you ain't going to win. Stetson Bennett ain't out-dueling Bryce Young, okay? This ain't uh, the showdown at the... If, if it's the showdown at the OK Corral, Stetson Bennett is bringing a knife to a gunfight and, and, and Bryce Young is going to embarrass him. And so, again, that's the first big thing. You have to stay true to who you are. You were swaggy all year. You were confident all year. You're gonna run the, we're going to run the ball right at you and you can't stop us all year. We're going to send our linebackers and you're not going to be able to run the ball on us all year. And then all of a sudden you get into that Alabama game. You get up early, they counterpunch, and you don't have the answer. I think the other big thing is something that we've talked about a ton on this show, and we talked about a ton in the lead-up to the previous game between these two and in the post-game of these two. Um, and that is the fact, you got to get pressure on Bryce Young, right? And, and again, I, I know I said this after the SEC championship game, but I found it funny because literally every person in the media, I saw so many tweets, like after the first game between these two teams, Alabama and Georgia, I saw so many tweets of, well, I couldn't have seen this coming. Because I didn't think Alabama's offensive line could block Georgia's defensive front the way. Yeah, nobody did. Alabama's offensive line was terrible all season long. And so I bring that up because that's the key on the other side of the football for Georgia. I don't have all the answers. I'm not some kind of scheme expert. If I was, I'd be making $2 million a year as an SEC defensive coordinator. 
I'd be Will Muschamp, baby, but I'm not. So I'm not a scheme expert. I'm not going to say, well, if they blitz the weak side linebacker here and you got to drop the safety into – no. But what I am telling you is this. There is a clear track record of how teams had success against Alabama. Now, only Texas A&M beat them, but to have success against Alabama, it was pretty straightforward as to what you had to do. You got to put Bryce Young on his butt. Nothing illegal, nothing dirty, but you got to put him on his butt. And the stats back that up. And, and, and this stat I think I'm about to give you is going to blow your mind, okay? Again, to have success against Alabama, to keep things close, got to put Bryce Young on his butt. Well, what happened in the LSU game? Remember the LSU game when LSU played Alabama? 20-14 to 14 was the final score. Alabama finished with six yards rushing. LSU sacked Alabama four times. LSU sacked Bryce Young four times. Because of it, they were in the game late. Drive stalled, drives ended. LSU got pressure on Bryce Young. Followed up a few weeks later. Well, I, I should even go back. The, 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 the Texas A&M game. Texas A&M beats Alabama in College Station. What happens? Get pressure on Bryce Young. Get pressure on Bryce Young. Texas A&M four sacks. So Texas A&M four sacks and win. LSU four sacks in a 20-14 loss. And oh, by the way, that Iron Bowl, Auburn, we all watched the game. Auburn had seven sacks against Alabama in the lead-up to the SEC championship game. So four sacks against LSU in a six-point loss. Four sacks for Texas A&M in a win against Alabama. Seven sacks for Auburn in a two-point double overtime loss. You know how many sacks that Georgia had against Alabama the most recent time they played? Zero. How about that Auburn, who Brian Harson is seemingly already on the hot seat in year one, they got seven sacks on Bryce Young. A week later, Georgia got zero. That matters. You have to get pressure on Bryce Young or you are not going to stop this Alabama offense. Additionally, what happened to the run defense for you, Georgia? Again, swag, confidence, this, that. I talked about how you abandoned the run. Well, credit to Alabama for remaining balanced, right? It's like we crushed Bill O'Brien, the Alabama offensive coordinator, former NFL head coach, for everything. Alabama did what they had to do between the trenches. Alabama ran the ball for 116 yards in that game. Georgia was giving up 86 yards coming into that game, which means that Alabama had more than, 40, what is it, 30-plus yards more than the average opponent. On top of that, Georgia gives up 2.6 yards per carry per game. Alabama rushed for almost 5 yards per carry in that game in the first game. And so, again, you go back. you got to put Bryce Young on, the, on his butt and you got to stop the run. Like, 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 come on now. You're a bunch of five stars up front. I'm hearing about how Jordan Davis should win the Heisman. I'm hearing about how this guy should be a first-round pick. I'm hearing, we'll make a play. We'll make a play. And so when I look at this game, again, it all comes down to Georgia. With Alabama, listen, I'm going to tell you straight up. What I'm going to tell you is, it's like I said after the Cincinnati game. I don't think there's much to take away from the Alabama-Cincinnati game because their game plan was completely different against Cincinnati than it was against Georgia. Against Georgia, they knew they could go vertical. They knew they could beat you deep. Against Cincinnati, Cincinnati has maybe two first-round corners on their roster in Sauce Gardner and um, Kobe, Kobe, Kobe Bryant. Yes, that's his name, Kobe Bryant. And so Alabama just completely switched up the game plan. So to me, there's nothing really to take away from that most recent game between these two teams. But on top of that, I do believe that there's a lot to take away from Georgia because the Georgia that I saw against Michigan, that was the one that I saw 
all season long up until that Alabama game. And so for Georgia, you got to play confident. You got to play with swag. You got to stay true to who you are. And on defense, come on now, you're all five stars. Make a few plays. Put Bryce Young on his butt. Legally, nothing dirty, but put him on his butt. Make some stops. It's pretty straightforward. Football is a game that is pretty simple. A couple other thoughts in this game coming in. The last thing for Georgia to keep it close, keep it competitive. I do think some of this is just on Kirby Smart. And I love Kirby Smart. Actually, I don't. I've made fun of him quite a bit. But I love him now because I picked his team to win the national championship in the preseason. How about my dogs? Love Kirby Smart. But we all know that Kirby Smart gets tight in big games. And I, I don't want to say I feel bad for Kirby Smart. I mean, he's getting paid six, seven, eight million dollars a year. Um, but, you know, what I will say is he is a guy that has taken a lot of criticism justifiably for the decisions that he's made in these big games. And I think some of this is on him. I think some of it is you got to stay calm in the big pr- pressure situations, right? You go back. We talked about it a minute ago. We talked about the idea uh, of, of those early games between these two teams. We talk about not only that national championship game where Nick Saban was willing to make the change of quarterback, which led to the national championship, but the following year, SEC title game. We all remember putting in Justin Fields for a fake punt. Complete disaster. We all remember, by the way, this most recent SEC championship game early in the third quarter. Yes, you're down 14 points, but you go for it on fourth, and when you do that early third, mid-third, the game was essentially over. And so with Kirby Smart, I think he's got to stay calm. I think he's got to stay poised. I think he's a great coach. He's certainly a great recruiter. I think he's a great coach. But what I also think about Kirby Smart that is true and that has to be acknowledged is that he gets tight in tight situations. I think he has to stay calm. I think he has to believe in his guys. And I'll give him credit because there's been a few times in his career where things could have gone sideways and he kept his guys on track. It's easy to forget now, but the first year that Georgia played for a national championship, and I know Georgia fans, if you're listening, you remember, but Georgia had to play Auburn twice to get to Alabama in the national championship. If you remember, Georgia played Auburn in the, you know, uh, Deep South's oldest rivalry, like they always do, and they lost late in the season. And then a few weeks later, they play them in the SEC championship game, and the understanding coming out of that game Kirby Smart stayed calm. Kirby Smart said, guys, I said, nothing's changed. We're going to get another shot at them. We're going to be okay. Just stick to what we do. Two weeks later, they play him in the SEC championship game. They beat Auburn. They go to the college football playoff. They ultimately lose to Alabama. I give Kirby Smart credit. After that first Alabama game a few weeks ago, what did he do? What did I tell you? He went to the podium. He had a little smirk on his face. He said, I like my guys. I trust my guys. I believe They will be ready to come. They will be ready to play the next time we take the field. They were against Michigan. But with Kirby Smart, this is a big game. This is your mentor. You have to stay calm. Finally, what I would say about this game, which has me really excited, I'm just happy that we get the two best teams, right? And it's so funny because I hear this all the time, whether it's the NCAA tournament and certainly with the college football playoff. I hear, I'm team chaos. I want chaos. I'm like, I don't. I want the best teams playing each other at the end of the season. That's fun to me. And so I bring it up because in sports, sometimes we just don't get the two best teams and we don't really know who's best, right? I mean, there was a year where Ohio State won a national championship. The following year, they bring back everybody. They lose to Michigan State late in the season. 
Then they beat Michigan, destroy Michigan. Michigan State goes to the college football playoff, gets destroyed by Alabama. Ohio State goes to the Fiesta Bowl, destroys Notre Dame. And we don't, I, I mean, Al, you know, whoever, I think Alabama won the national championship that year against Clemson. But you're like, man, I wish I had seen Ohio State in the playoff. There's been other years. In college basketball, I talk about it all the time. It's very rare that we get what we got last year with Gonzaga and Baylor, where the two best teams all year played each other. So I bring it up because I'm just grateful. These were the two best teams all year. We spent so much time talking about it. it's Georgia, Alabama, and everybody else. Remember that weekend, two top 25 matchups, Georgia's hosting Arkansas, Alabama's hosting Ole Miss, and both games were complete blowouts, and we were like, oh, my goodness, those are the two best teams. I'm happy that we got these two teams on a field. I'm happy that we're getting a rematch, and they're clearly the two best teams. Michigan, great season, great story. We saw them against, against Georgia. It wasn't pretty. Cincinnati, great team, great story. We saw them against Alabama. It wasn't pretty. Ohio State, great-ish season. I guess 11-2 is a great season for most people. I don't know if it's great at Ohio State, but we all saw them in the Rose Bowl. Fun team, fun offense. They couldn't stop anybody. I don't think they would have had, uh, maybe they would have been more competitive against Georgia than Michigan was because they could have just put up more points, but I don't think they're beating Georgia. And so I just bring it up to say, that's my last thought, and we're going to take a break, get to college hoops in a second. But I bring it up because we are finally at the point where we have one game left, and I'm just excited that we got the two best teams. I don't think there's any debate. I don't think there's any discussion. And now I just hope we get a competitive game. All right, this is what I want to do. I want to take a quick break. I want to come back. I want to talk a little college hoops where the ACC is awful. The ACC is awful. We'll talk about that next. Preview the week ahead. Also, how about my boy Mike Woodson? Biggest win of his young Indiana career. Shout out Mike Woodson, Mike F. and Woodson. We'll be right back. All right, everybody. I am back. Good to be back. Good to be back. I want to get to some college hoops in a minute. But before I do, I got a message from our partners at DraftKings and the DraftKings Sportsbook. First of all, New York, you're about to go live Saturday morning. If you are in New York, hit me up. I got a special, special, special offer for first-time users in New York. For everybody else, we got an incredible offer from DraftKings that's awesome. You can use it for any pro football game this weekend or the college football national championship game on Monday. Here is what that offer is. First-time users, all you got to do, bet $5 on the money line. Pick a winner, pick a loser. I like Bama. I like Cincinnati. Or Cincinnati. I like Bama. I like Georgia. I like Green Bay. I like Kansas City. These, of course, are now professional football teams. I like Dallas. I like this. I like that. Bet $5 on the money line. If your team wins, $200 free bets courtesy of DraftKings. Risk 5 $200 if you win for new users only. This is how you get it. take advantage of that offer. First, click the link in the show description, sign up for a new DraftKings Sportsbook account, and make your first deposit. Bet $5 on any team. Again, it could be pro football this weekend, Green Bay, Dallas, Kansas City, whoever you like, bet $5 on them to win. Could be college, Georgia, Alabama, $5 to win. And if your team wins, you get $200 in free bets courtesy of our friends at DraftKings and the DraftKings Sportsbook. It's the best offer going. New York, I got offers for you too. There's a link in, my, in the show description about that. DM me for any questions. Love DraftKings and the DraftKings Sportsbook. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER, 1-800-426-2537 in Illinois. Gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER in Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Wyoming, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-888-532-3500 in 
in Virginia, 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona, or call or text Tennessee Redline, 1-800-889-9789, again, in Tennessee. Must be 21-plus or over to enter, 18-plus or over in Wyoming, Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Wyoming only, minimum $5 deposit, minimum $5 wager, eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for full terms and conditions. All right, everybody, I am back. Good to be back, good to be back. First off, thank you to our partners at DraftKings and the DraftKings Sportsbook. We always appreciate everything that DraftKings does for us. New York, if you are in New York, get in now. Great promo now. DM me, hit me up, send me details. For everybody else, that great bet $5 on a money line, win 200 if your team wins. With that said, let's switch gears, talk some college hoops, because it's really funny, right? I, you know, you, you get so wrapped up in things sometimes that I think sometimes something has to happen to smack you right in the head. And on Thursday night, I was sitting there watching my boy Mike Woodson, Mike F. and Woodson, Indiana head coach. Indiana's playing Ohio State. Indiana gets a great win over Ohio State. And it really hit me. I was like, oh, it's January. Like, we have college basketball pretty much every single night from now until the end of the season. So so we're here, and we're going to ramp up our college basketball coverage. We'll get some guests on, uh, efforting some really big names, and it's going to be fun, and we're going to have a blast over these next two, three months. But I only bring it up for this simple reason. It's to say that it's time to talk college hoops, and it's time to talk about something that hit me while I was watching games this week. Not just that we have great games going forward, but on Wednesday night, I was watching North Carolina-Notre Dame. Notre Dame wins, beats North Carolina, Final score, 77-73. And even that score is really kind of deceptive, 78-73. Because in that game, Notre Dame was up huge against North Carolina, one of the best teams in the ACC coming in. North Carolina rallies. Notre Dame holds on to win. And so the final score wasn't really reflective of how close the game was. Notre Dame was the better team from start to finish. But I bring it up for one simple reason. It is because with the loss, North Carolina falls to 10-4 overall. And when you look at their resume, there really ain't that much there. They go to a preseason tournament at the Mohegan Sun Casino, Mohegan Sun Arena in Connecticut, not far from where I grew up. Lose to Purdue, get destroyed by Purdue. Lose to Tennessee. Lose to Kentucky in the CBS Sports Classic. This is North Carolina. Now they have lost their first big ACC game of the season. I don't even think you could call it big because Notre Dame was 7-5 and five coming in. North Carolina loses. North Carolina is now 10-4 and four overall. North Carolina's best win at this point in the season is probably against Michigan in the Big Ten ACC Challenge. Oh, by the way, a game in which Michigan is awful. Like, like, like not a game in which. Michigan's just terrible. So, so North Carolina's best win right now is against a 7-5 and five Michigan team that is trending towards nothing towards a tournament team. And so I bring it up not to talk about North Carolina. We have to spend an hour talking North Carolina. I bring it up to say I think North Carolina is a metaphor for something else. They're a metaphor for the fact that this is the worst ACC that I can ever remember in my lifetime. Maybe there was a time back in 1962 that none of us remember or 1978. I'm just telling you, I've been watching college basketball 25 plus years. I can never remember an ACC worse than this. And that's not just hyperbole. That's just not just Torres pulling stuff out of his you-know-what. It's fact. First of all, Right now, on January 7th, there are only three teams in the ACC with fewer than four losses, okay? And we haven't even gotten into conference play yet. 
One is Duke, and Duke's awesome, right? And, and I know we could, I could crush Duke and, you know, Coach K this. No, Duke's awesome. Duke beat Gonzaga in Vegas. Game I was at, great game. Duke beat Kentucky to open the season. Duke's a real team, like real team, real wins. I think they're a number one seed, and I think, frankly, they run away with this conference. But beyond Duke, you know the only other two teams that have fewer than four losses? Wake Forest at 12-3. and three. Wake Forest only has one win in the out-of-conference against a power six opponent, and that's Northwestern. And Miami, which is 12-3, and three, and to their credit, Miami is actually, along with Louisville and Duke, the only undefeated teams left in the ACC at this point. And it's worth noting, Miami's best win out-of-conference is against Penn State, which is probably the 12th, 13th best team in the Big Ten. So right now, you have a situation where the three team best teams record-wise are Duke, which is good, Miami, and Wake Forest. And then there's everybody else, and it's a disaster, so let's get into it and let's talk about it. First of all, there's North Carolina. I already talked about them. 10-4, and four, uh, best win against an awful Michigan team. And I'll be honest. Like, like look, it, I'll just say this. It is way too early to speculate anything to do with Hubert Davis, okay? I'm not saying he's a good coach. I'm not saying he's a bad coach. There's no way to know. But what I would also say is he inherited kind of a pretty good situation. Brings back Caleb Love, McDonald's All-American. Bring ba- brings back Armando Baycott, uh, leading scorer and rebounder from last season. Brings in Dawson Garcia, who I know was hurt against Notre Dame, but's a good player, former McDonald's All-American. Brings in Brady Manning. And I still go back to what I said about North Carolina last offseason when they hired Hubert Davis. I'm not saying he's the wrong coach. I'm not saying he can't be the next Dean Smith or Roy Williams. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is North Carolina is one of those Cadillac jobs. And when you have one of those Cadillac jobs, you have to beat all the bushes to see if anybody's interested. And I bring it up, especially at this time, as it pertains to college football. Because think about what USC proved in college football. Think about what LSU proved in college college football. You throw enough money, if you're a great job, and you throw enough money at the right coach, somebody is going to say yes. And so I still go back to last offseason, and I still go back to North Carolina's decision to give the job to Hubert Davis, not saying he can't be good. But I also know that Mark Few makes, I don't know, three and a half, four million a year at Gonzaga. I would have offered him an eight-year, uh, I would have offered him an, uh, an $80 million contract. Ten years, eight million a year. Eight years, ten million. I'd give him the Jimbo Fisher money. I'd give him the Mel Tucker money. I'd give him the Lincoln Riley money because you are North Carolina. We'll see if it works. We'll see if it doesn't. But the last time that they tried to kind of hire from within the family and do it, they got Matt Doherty, friend of the Aaron Torres podcast, like Matt Doherty. He wasn't the right fit. Two years later, three years later, they had to go get Roy Williams. We'll see if that happens. But I do wonder if they should have been more aggressive pursuing somebody else because you're North Carolina freaking Lina. Uh, on top of North Carolina being 10-4, and four, Louisville's also 10-4. and four. Now, to Louisville's credit, they're 4-0 in the ACC. But it's not as though that they have destroyed everybody that they've played. They played Pitt the other night. Pitt is currently 0-3 and 5-0-3 in the ACC and 5-9 and overall. Louisville barely held on to survive. And you look at Louisville's resume in the out of conference. And this is not me tearing down Louisville. I hate Chris Mack. I love Chris Mack. He was on this podcast. I think he's a good coach. But Louisville right now is 10-4. and And their out of conference resume is pretty thin. On top of that, their losses are pretty, eh, I don't know. One, you lost to Furman at home. Furman. And I know that Chris Mack wasn't there. He was suspended, whatever. Can't lose to Furman at home if you're Louisville. You lose to DePaul at home. DePaul, the glass slipper is off. They're terrible again, losing every big Big East game that they play. They might be the worst team in the Big East. You lose at Western Kentucky. Two days later, Western Kentucky goes to Rupp Arena, gets destroyed by Kentucky. 
So you're looking at Louisville, 10 and 4, 4-0 in the ACC. But basically no out of conference resume. Their best win out of conference is probably uh, Mississippi State, which of course is probably the seventh, eighth best team in the SEC. Louisville losses to Furman, losses to DePaul, losses to, uh, to, to 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 Western Kentucky. Those are all losses that you're going to struggle to overcome all year. Well, how about Virginia? Louisville, we don't know about them. North Carolina doesn't have any good wins. Well, how about Virginia? Virginia is nine and freaking five right now. And not only are they nine and freaking five, you know who they lost to? They lost to Navy. In the Navy. That's who Virginia lost to. The village people. In the Navy. What is going on? On top of that, take it a step further. They lost, they got destroyed by Houston. They got destroyed by, they lost to Iowa at home, which is probably the sixth, seventh best team in the Big Ten. And they do have one good win over Providence, which is a win that I think will be good all year. But they're 9-5 and five right now. And I, Tony Bennett's another one. I'll tell you this. You know, the Hubert Davis thing, it's too early to tell. It's too early to tell on this. I don't know if Tony Bennett's built for the transfer portal era, right? This was a guy that developed guys three, four, five years in the program. Sit, wait your turn, all that. Well, they lost two or three guys this offseason that could have helped them because they just didn't want to wait and take, you know, wait out the process. So Tony Bennett, I think it'll be really interesting to see. But Virginia 9-5, and five, they'll probably rally. They always play well in ACC play. But they're 9-5. and five. They lost to in the Navy. What are we doing here, people? On top of that, Florida State. We think, oh, Florida State, Leonard Hamilton, they'll figure it out. Florida State's 7-5 and five right now. Florida State got destroyed by Florida. Florida's probably the 6th, 7th best team in the SEC. They just lost their SEC opener in Alabama. Got destroyed by Purdue, no shame in that. Lost to South Carolina. Best out of conference win for Florida State, probably Missouri. The second worst team in the SEC behind only Georgia. And let's take it a step further. Florida State lost to Syracuse. Speaking of Syracuse, let's talk about Syracuse for a minute because Syracuse, oh my goodness. And I've been saying this for three or four years. Jim Beheim, you got to go, man. Listen, Jim Beheim's a legend. I'm reading Dana O'Neill's awesome book on the Big East. And he is one of the most important figures in the history of college basketball. But right now it is so obvious that he is just checked out on his job, on this, on that. And I know they just made the Sweet 16 last year, but they snuck into the NCAA tournament, blah, blah, blah. They're terrible. They're 7-7. Seven and seven. Syracuse already has a loss to Colgate, has a loss to Georgetown, who's terrible, and has a loss to VCU. NC State, by the way, 8-7. and seven. And so when I tell you that this is the worst ACC, right now it is just a little bit of hyperbolic, right? Like, like there's time for Louisville to rally and get right. There's time for North Carolina to rally and get right. But what we have to do, what do I always say? We're doing the show tonight. We're doing the show today. And right now, this is the worst ACC I've ever seen. Duke's awesome. Wake Forest will find out about. Miami will find out about. But Louisville, no meaningful out-of-conference wins. North Carolina, no meaningful out-of-conference wins. Syracuse is terrible. Florida State is terrible. Virginia pretty terrible they lost it in the navy what are we doing here people and so what i'll say is this is this is trending towards the worst showing in acc history again it can change things can change but the his the record is the record shows that the fewest ncaa tournament bids that the that the acc has ever had in the modern era dating back to 1985 when they expanded the ncaa tournament to 64 teams which then of course became 68 the record for fewest NCAA tournament bids for the ACC is three. It happened in 2000, and it happened in 1999, ironically, where Duke won the Nash where Duke won went to the Final Four as the number one team in the country and lost to UConn. So maybe we'll get a little bit of history repeating itself there. 
Duke's, Duke was awesome that year. And those two years, it was Duke, North Carolina, and then Maryland, the only three teams from the ACC. And I'll tell you, it's trending towards that right now in the ACC. And people say, oh, it's too early. You never know. And you don't ever know. You don't ever know. But what I would tell you is, you know, we got to do the show right now. And I looked up some bracketologies this morning. I looked up The Athletic has their new bracketology out. They have three teams in the NCAA tournament right now from the ACC. Duke as a one seed. Duke's pretty good. Wake Forest as a 10 seed. North Carolina as a 10 seed. So they have three teams in, which would tie a record for the fewest in ACC history. And oh, by the way, two of the three are on the 10 line, which means that they're basically about the last eight or so teams in the NCAA tournament. So listen, don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. Louisville can rally. North Carolina can rally. Maybe Florida State can rally. Maybe Virginia can rally. Whoever. Maybe Miami's better than we think. Maybe Wake Forest is better than we think. But what I will say is this. It's not looking good for the ACC, and it could be really ugly. One really important result, I think, since the last time that I spoke to you, besides uh, North Carolina and uh, Notre Dame. How about my boy, Mike F. and Woodson? Mike Woodson, my boy, Mike F. and Woodson. Listen, I'll say this, is Mike Woodson, first of all, you know I love Mike Woodson. Criticize the hire, love the hire after. I think it is a different kind of rebuilding job at Indiana. I, this isn't a tear it down and build it back up from the ground. It's going to take three or four years. This is not, say, uh, USC football, which I think is a much bigger rebuild than people think. Mike Woodson inherited a ton of talent. Trace Jackson Davis, Race Thompson, uh, Rob Finnessy, on and on. But what Mike Woodson has to change is the attitude and mentality of his team because Indiana under Archie Miller, we all saw it every single year. Every single time that it seemed like they were going to turn a corner, they completely fell on their face. Every single time that it felt like they were ready to take the next step as a program, they'd lose a game. It ultimately ended with Archie Miller not making the NCAA tournament any, at any point in his four years, and he got fired last spring. So why do I bring it up? It's because pretty early, uh, Indiana's been kind of nondescript, okay? Uh, you lose a two-point game at Syracuse. No worries there. It was double overtime. Could have won first road game. Then after that, and this is where I started to get worried, you played Wisconsin at Wisconsin. Wisconsin's actually good. Johnny Davis might be the national player of the year right now. But I bring it up because you played at Wisconsin. You had a 22-point first half lead, and you lost it. And you lost the game to Wisconsin, and that was a metaphor for what I was talking about. And then it was followed up this past weekend by going to Penn State and losing to Penn State. And we all know Indiana basketball should never lose to Penn State. But why I bring all this stuff up is because I saw something positive on Thursday night. Indiana played Ohio State at home. Ohio State came into the, the, the game ranked in the top 15 nationally, number 13 overall, 9-2 and two on the season. And Indiana got a win, 67-51. First of all, for those of you who haven't seen uh, Indiana very much, Trace Jackson Davis, their star, was awesome in this game. And I would argue it was probably the best game that he's ever played in an, in an Indiana uniform. He finished with 27 points, 12 rebounds, and 5 blocks. But what was equally as impressive is he made a lot of plays from the post. Dumped the ball to him in the post. He kicks it out. Wide open shot. Sometimes it went in. Sometimes it didn't. Indiana missed a lot of wide open threes, I would add, in this game. Two for 15 from three. But 
I just thought it was a complete game from him. As complete of a game as I've seen anybody play all year. Defensive end, rebounding, hustle, energy, scoring, passing, whatever. And so you get this win, and I think it's a totally positive step in the right direction for Indiana. And I'll just be curious to see what happens from here. I'm not going to do the overhype Mike Woodson thing and, and all that stuff. But what I will say is when you're rebuilding, when you're rebuilding not only a program but a mentality, it takes time. I remember talking about this a few years ago with UConn. UConn, year two under Dan Hurley, which was the COVID year where the NCAA tournament didn't happen. There was about an 8, 9, 10 game stretch. You play all these bad teams early, you beat them. Then you play, start playing better teams, and there's all these games where game after game after game, you're close, you're close, you're close, you can't get over the hump. Then at the end of the year, they got over the hump. Then last year, they made the NCAA tournament. Now this year, I believe they have one of the top 15 teams in the country. And it's the same with Indiana. I don't know if it's going to work for Mike Woodson. I don't know if it's not going to work for Mike Woodson. But what I do know is it is going to take time where these players learn how to win close games, learn how, like they did on Thursday, uh, to not only beat a good team, but pull away in victory. And so I have no big picture answers on what does this mean? Is it going to work out? Is Mike Woodson this? What I do know is this. Thursday was a major step in the right direction. And I'm very curious to see where this Indiana program goes from here. It's worth noting, obviously, in the Big Ten, things don't get very much easier. Uh, that was not a sentence, by the way. They don't get easier. Don't get much easier is not really a sentence. Um, they play at Minnesota. Or they play Minnesota at home. Then they play at Iowa, at Nebraska in their first game against their biggest rival, Purdue. So, look, we're going to learn a lot about this team over these next few weeks, but I thought Thursday was a major step in the right direction. Really quickly, just want to rip through a couple of Saturday's games. Uh, fun day on Saturday. Again, we have the NFL a little bit on Saturday, obviously the lead-up to the college football playoff, but a couple of really good games that I'm intrigued by. First of all, UConn plays at Seton Hall. You talk about a fascinating game. I am so, so, so interested in this one. UConn is coming off of a COVID pause. Uh, they're playing, obviously, tomorrow is January 8th. This will be their first game since they won their Big East opener against Marquette back on December 21st. So naturally what happens, you go on, you go, you win right before Christmas, send everybody home, everybody gets on a plane, everybody comes back, everybody tests positive for COVID. But my understanding was there was actually some players that ended up really sick. Everybody knows where I stand on COVID, but there were some players that were really sick. Well, now you have to go up on the road in a major Big East game against a really good Seton Hall team and against a Seton Hall team that is coming off of two losses in their own right in their last three games. Now, credit to Seton Hall, they won at Butler, but they open Big East play coming off of their own COVID pause against Providence. They lose there. And then on top of that, they lost to Villanova on New Year's Day, which was a little bit surprising. So Seton Hall, I think, is one of the better teams that I've seen. I think UConn's actually there, too. I don't know what to expect from either team because both are coming off of COVID pauses. Uh, interesting game in the Big 12. Texas at Oklahoma State. Um, and I'll say this for Texas. You know, Texas, uh, we make fun of Texas. Is Texas back? Is Texas not back? All that good stuff. But, you know, they hired Chris Beard in the offseason. And I, I even told you, I, I'm, I'm hyping Chris Beard. They're the next great program in college basketball. But I said it is going to take time. Well, you look at Texas now. They're sitting at 12-2 and two overall. And here are their two losses so far. They lost at Gonzaga the opening week of the season. And then they lost at Seton Hall by four. Every other game they've won, including their Big 12 opener this past weekend against West Virginia at home, and they played Kansas State a few days ago in Manhattan. But I bring it up because 
this is going to be a process, but like I don't think people really like like Chris Beard in Texas are twelve and two right now, but nobody's talking about them because they don't have that signature win. I don't know that necessarily beating Oklahoma is going to qualify as a signature win, or Oklahoma State, excuse me, who qualifies as a signature win. Oklahoma State struggling; they're obviously not eligible for the NCAA tournament. But I bring it up because I do think that, uh, you know, this is kind of a big national stage game. It'll be on CBS. Obviously, there will be some NFL later in the day. So, you know, you might not have all the eyeballs on it, but a great opportunity for Texas to get a big win. Uh, You know, ripping through some of the other games of the weekend. First of all, Michigan State at Michigan. I talked a ton about Michigan, not only on today's show, but on the last show. This team's struggling. This team's struggling. They're seven and five. Jawan Howard said some stuff about, you know, I'm not quitting on this team. I still believe in this group of guys. But it's what I told you about Michigan. They were a veteran, experienced team last year. Now it's a bunch of freshmen, except for Hunter Dickinson, being asked to replace those guys. And so you look at Michigan right now. They're currently, I think I said seven and five. They're actually seven and six, one and two in the Big Ten. And they're playing a good Michigan State team. But I think it's also worth noting with Michigan State, they're three and oh in Big Ten play. They've played arguably the three worst teams in the Big Ten, Penn State at home, at Northwestern, at uh, Nebraska at home. And they've won the games they're supposed to, but I think we're going to learn a lot about Michigan State as they go on the road against Michigan this weekend. On top of that, another Big 12 game I should mention, Kansas at Texas Tech. Look, you know, we're talking about who's number one in the country. I think Kansas might be in that short conversation. Uh, Kansas, of course, their only loss was at the buzzer to Dayton in their uh, Thanksgiving tournament. Since then, they've won about eight in a row, open Big 12 play with a a nice win at Oklahoma State. They go to Texas Tech this weekend. Really fun game there. On top of that, biggest game in the SEC. How about LSU's opening slate? Open at Auburn, play Kentucky this past week. Obviously, are hosting Tennessee this weekend. Tennessee's kind of at an interesting crossroads. They took care of business against Ole Miss the other day. It's really interesting. Should have been in Alabama and lost in a game where I thought they played really well. No Kennedy Chandler, no John Fulkerson. Then they play Ole Miss the other day in a terrible game. They end up winning at home in Thompson Bowling Arena. That game is at Baton Rouge. I don't think it'll be easy. I mentioned Miami. Miami's actually pretty decent. They play at Duke. We'll learn a lot about Miami this weekend. And on top of that, a couple games on Sunday worth noting. Minnesota at Indiana. My boy Mike Woodson, another chance to get a signature win. And Cincinnati at Memphis. I mean, you know the deal with Memphis. Walking in Memphis. They need some wins, baby. They need some wins. So, That's all for College Hoops, and I think that's all for today's episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. I'm going to get out of here. Before I do, I want to remind you, make sure that you're subscribed. Apple, Spotify, Google Music, Amazon Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram. Make sure you're following our social media accounts at Torres on UK if you're a Kentucky fan, at Torres on the Hogs if you're an Arkansas fan, at Torres on Bama if you're a Bama fan, at Torres on UConn if you're a UConn fan, on and on and on and on and on. With that said, I think it's time for me to get out of here. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel who hates my voice. I will be back on Monday. National Championship Preview, Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.